be the best, then you gotta pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you gotta do a little extra things to get it. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodrigue, and with me this week, got a very special, fabulous guest co-host, James Boyd from The Athletic, covering the Indianapolis Colts and actually writing incredible features about any topic you could possibly want. James, how we doing? <laughs> I told you good. it was weird. I told you it was I know. Weird. I enjoy it. I think it's cool, but... I'm doing well. I'm excited, obviously, for the game. It's Sunday. A lot of talk about Aaron Donald. How do you stop him? You don't, because mm. he's great. You just try to hope, you know, to God that he has an off night or something like that. But it's been a lot of fun. And assuming Anthony Richardson returns, that'll be exciting for you all to see as well. Before I get into some Rams news and also like the big three topics that we were talking about with the Colts um, on your on your side. What has it been like for you? Because you, you've you done so much great work for us. You've done a lot of features and, and you've taken over the Colts beat full time. And it's you've done an incredible job, but this team does not give you peace. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I just wanted to kind of check in with you and see what has it been like? A, a lot of our listeners really love the the inside baseball part of what we do as beat writers. And so um, what, what has it been like for you from everything from, you know, they're the, getting a quarterback with the early pick and then the Jonathan Taylor stuff. I mean, how has that been? Yeah, it's been a whirlwind last year and a year plus on the beat. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think I got thrown in the fire <laughs> immediately. Jeff and Saturday? Zach Kiefer, I mean, yes. <laughs> I remember November 7th last year, I was in a press conference room and Jeff Saturday was being hired as the closest coach. And I could not believe it, honestly. And it still feels <laughs> like a dream or a nightmare, whatever you want to look at it like. But since then, um, you know, obviously a lot of changes. Zach Kiefer ditched me for the national scene. It's <laughs> big time now. No, I'm joking. I, I love him. Great dude. Learned a lot from him. But in that same vein, you know, a lot of my plate with the JT stuff, um, the Isaiah Rogers senior gambling violations, mm -hmm. drafting a quarterback, picking a coach. So all of those things, I think, made me a better reporter because you kind of have to learn on the fly. Mm -hmm. But um, I've had a lot of fun, too, and I've tried to embrace that fun. Like one example of it is, you know, the, the joke here in India is that I called uh, Anthony Richardson a project before he was drafted, which was mm -hmm. not the case, Jordan. I was at the <laughs> scouting combine. I asked him, I said, hey, some teams look at you like a project. What can you do right now versus in the future? He only heard the real project and he did not like the question at all. I mean, we're in the middle of a 50 person scrum and everyone's asking you about being like Cam Newton, and Lamar Jackson. And I'm like, wait a second. You're, you're not that you're not these guys. I'm um, not to be the hater, but it was true. And so, you know, fast forward to when they draft him, everyone's like, oh my God, you're going to see this guy again. What's going to happen? <laughs> so I just owned it when he came in for his first in-person interview after he got drafted mm -hmm. the day after I was like, Hey, Anthony, I'm the guy at the combine who called you a project. And I was like, I don't know if you remember. He's like, oh, I remember. And he just like took it on the chin and laughed. And the entire room was busting up laughing. Um, I enjoyed it. But everyone thought it would be like this awkward thing when it's, it hasn't been. And he's been fantastic. It's been a lot of fun. But it definitely was a lot of learning because I came over from covering the NBA for a season. Mm -hmm. And they're similar in some ways, but different in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to like the injury stuff. You know, there is no pup list in the NBA. If you're out, you just don't talk or don't do anything until you're available again. Mm -hmm. That's it's pretty simple. You know, in the NFL, there is, you know, non-football injury list. There is the reserve, you know, physically unable to perform list. The active physically unable to perform list. There is, you know, injured reserve. And if you're on injured reserve before the season, what does that mean versus after you start the season? So all of those things I had to learn a lot. But fortunately, I'm on a beat where not only, you know, I can reach out to you all as my coworkers at The Athletic, but a lot of the guys I'm surrounded with on the local beat um, truly uh, taking me under their wing. Um, have asked me if I'm okay, if I'm doing all right. You know, it's competition at the end of the day, but is it like where they won't help me? You know, this mm -hmm. is where you stand. This is what you do. This is what you do, say. And so I uh, had a lot of fun so far and it hasn't slowed down at all. So um, again, being thrown in the fire, you got to learn on the fly and I haven't, you know, came out too crisp. So I'm doing all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you've done a great job. And I said this you. to you off recording as well. Like a lot of the explainers you were writing, you know, it, it's wild to me we forget sometimes how many 
different things there are that maybe people on the outside don't know the terminologies, the things like that. Rams fans are dealing with this right now. And that kind of leads me into a little bit of some, some news this week is with Cooper cup, who's on injured reserve. And, and obviously being on short-term injured reserve, there's different rules than when you are on injured reserve before you're the 53 man. So you have to obviously make the 53 man in order to go on injured reserve to be qualified for designated to return, which then opens up a 21 day activation window. So all to my point saying when Sean McVay comes out yesterday, uh, we're recording this on Thursday when Sean McVay comes out Wednesday afternoon and expresses his hope and his optimism as he, as he has for a couple of weeks that Cooper cup who's on IR with the hamstring issue, um, could be activated, um, next week, uh, which would be like the normal timeline, the five, the, or the four games to me, the way I take that in my opinion, <laughs> nobody <laughs> aggregate this, but in my opinion, I take that to mean um, they're going to use the 21 day window because people also forget that. And you've been thrown into this as well, James, but like people also forget that you cannot practice with the team when you're on, when you're on IR. Now, Cooper Cup has been at every practice. He's even been like subbing in as the third quarterback sometimes to throw <laughs> to receivers during drills. He's been running around the sidelines. He's been coaching up the young receivers and they've asked Sean McVay if he can come to the road games, which injured reserve players normally don't. You have to get an exception. And so like you, he's been super involved, but he hasn't practiced and he's been dealing with the hamstring that's flared up two separate times. Um, the same injury since training camp. And then before that, he was coming off of a high ankle sprain that he had tightrope surgery on in the spring. And so they haven't seen him actually really sustainably practice yet, really for only a week, maybe. And then uh, two two practices in Denver and before he re-aggravated it. And so they I think this is a team that's going to maximize the 21 day window and see how he returns to practice because they're going to make sure that he's at return to performance, a Sean McVay favorite saying, versus just return to being active. So that's what I think, you know, the 21-day the window, I think, is a helpful tool when it comes to like a soft tissue injury like this. Um, but you also, just because he says he's hopeful that Cooper is, um, that the hope is that Cooper gets activated next week, to me, I don't necessarily think that means he's activated and he's going to play against Philly, you know, like I think that that more so means he's activated. And by the way, let's get this guy into some good competitive practices. Um, and that's really the biggest news in, in Rams land right now. The other big news is um, left tackle Alec Jackson had a hamstring issue pop up in the middle of Monday night's game, left the game. Uh, now infamous situation occurred at left tackle in his place where Zach Thomas um, went in and the Rams did not get him any chipping help or anything, uh, any sliding help, anything like that. And he had to go against Trey Hendrickson and it did not go well. And um, so this strategy is one that the Rams coaches have discussed this week and, and we're kind of open about how they would definitely do it differently this time around. So because Alec Jackson did not play, uh, did not practice into Thursday, Sean McVay said he is feeling good and I would assume he will at least try to go, but we're really going to have to wait to see what Friday's um, sort of updates and how practice shakes out. And I wouldn't rule out the potential of seeing Joe Noteboom at that left tackle spot. He was paid to play left tackle. He's currently starting at right guard. <laughs> the Rams paid him to play to left tackle. See, our teams are both a little chaotic, James. I know we're both. This is this is going to be laughing because <laughs> that was what happened last year here in India. We had so many offensive line changes, but continue. <laughs> yes, no, and I'm like you're, the recognition I'm seeing too on your face. It's like, yeah, we're both covering a little bit of a chaos situation here. Yours, I think, is a little bit more chaotic because and you've done a great job maintaining that. Because my goodness, I can't even imagine keeping up with all that. But but, but yeah, and so that so I wouldn't be surprised to see Joan Opuma left tackle. Um, if that's in that case, you know, the Rams have options of Tremaine Ankrum at right guard. They also had traded for Kevin Dotson, who's been ramping up his um, sort of assimilation into the playbook, into the language. I think Rams fans, and I definitely hear from them, are frustrated that they have not seen him yet. Please keep in mind, though, that this is a playbook that takes a long time to learn. This is a complicated offensive line language, as all of them are across the league, but as particularly the Rams have shifted their scheme a little bit as well. And so this is one of those where if you had everyone active and available, um, 
you know, why would you just throw someone in there before they were ready? Now there is a little bit of urgency. You may need to see somebody in there. You may need to see Kevin Dotson um, perhaps before you were planning on it. Um, it just depends. We'll know more. Today's Thursday. We'll know more Friday about how that's all going to shake out. But significant, James, because they're going up against the Colts defensive line. Now tell me, tell me about this group as we start our big things about the Colts in Colts land right now. Tell me about this group because I've been watching a little tape um, in my lack of spare time, but watching a little bit of tape. And they, <laughs> this is a really aggressive, confident group. They're playing like they don't think that people can stop them. And that's kind of the impression that I've been seeing from this group so far. Absolutely. I think that it starts in the interior defensive line with Grover Stewart, DeForest Buckner. Grover Stewart is the nicest mean guy ever. Um, <laughs> that's what you want in alignment. I mean, truly, <laughs> he... He is so matter of fact with everything that he does. Um, I'll watch the tape myself and I'll go back and say, hey, Grover, you know, what happened on this play where you kind of blew it up on the inside? And he will just say, oh, I saw the ball. This guy was in the way. So I just kind of threw him out the way. Like, <laughs> OK, <laughs> so like he's that. like very matter of fact. And he's almost like a bad quote because he's so simple with everything. <laughs> and so he's never going to you know, add on any dressing. And that's kind of how he plays as well. And he even had a play, you know, at, at, during the during in the Ravens game where he chased down one of the running backs, you know, across the field, where it just shows even when he isn't making that interior stop, there's that relentless pursuit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's contagious. And then the Forrest Buckner, people know him, obviously, from the San Francisco days, playing in the Super Bowl. He's been quietly one of the best deep tackles in the league since he's been in the league. Um, you know, he's a guy who I believe could have been, you know, a Pro Bowl or All-Pro last season had the Colts just had more wins. He's mm -hmm. that dominant. He's that good. And the joke here is, you know, he hasn't practiced over the last two days. Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm sorry, Wednesday and Thursday, and he has a groin issue. But he also does this pretty much every week, every season, where he has something, but then he plays and he, he's dominant. So I think out of the 117 games, possible games in his career, he's only missed two. Wow. So, you know, Colts fans basically see him on the injury report and they're like, oh, we don't even care. And it, it's like a, a good thing and a bad thing because you want to care for the guy. But I'm not going to lie, as a reporter, I'm like, until he doesn't play, it's not really news. Mm -hmm. And and that's sort of how he approaches it. The edge is where I think they've taken a step forward. You have Dio Dangbo, who was stepped up this season. Quiddy Pay mm -hmm. has a sack in each of the three games, and he's really taking a, a step forward. And you wanted to see something from these guys. But the one guy I think that I'm maybe most surprised by, in a way, is Samson Ebukam, who missed a ton of time during the spring with, you know, hamstring injury, very quiet guy. Um, and, and you just didn't know what to expect. You know, he was their sort of biggest free agent signing outside of Matt Gay, who we'll get to, you know, had a big week. And both former Rams, Rams, by the way. Yeah. Both oh, former yeah. Rams. Yeah. I mean, both <laughs> players. Right. But Samson, I think, has kind of lived up to the, the biblical name in a sense where he's done some some incredible things and he's been very disruptive. So that line has really set the tone for this defense. And I think they had to. Because where I think that the Colts are weak is their defensive secondary, you know, very inexperienced on the back end outside of Kenny Moore, um, you know, prior to the season starting, he was the only one on the roster cornerback wise who had started, I believe, like over four games in their career. Mm -hmm. So, you know, although Julius Brent, the second round pick had a great game last week, that's also his first game in the NFL. You can't expect him to come out, have a forced fumble and be great every single time he's out there because he just hasn't played a lot. And you have Dallas Flowers, who I wrote about, undrafted guy, super confident guy, incredible story, you know, played at, you know, four different, went to four different colleges, never played Division One football, and, and really just kind of clawed his way into the NFL. It's, it's a great story. However, great stories don't always translate to being, mm -hmm. you know, great players, you know, as you want them to be. So he's someone who, he's played okay this season, but I think that he could get exploited if, you know, the Ravens don't, not the Ravens, I'm sorry, the Rams don't get pressured if Matt Stafford has time. So I think they have to definitely get in and, and make him uncomfortable because if you allow Matt Stafford to pick you apart, um, he still can. He still has the arm talent to do so. And I think that the Colts are definitely aware of, okay, we're kind of weak on the back end. So big guys up front, make sure you're, you know, disrupting things. And even the, just the front seven in general, the linebackers have really stepped up. Zaire Franklin, um, fantastic player, fantastic story. He's uh, he's their best linebacker. He's been their best linebacker this season, former seventh-round pick. He got his chance last year when Shaq Leonard missed a ton of time, and he's basically supplanted him as the best linebacker on the team. Mm -hmm. And then you have EJ Speed, who's like 
the backup linebacker. Such a badass name. Oh my gosh. Too. I mean, like, how great is that? <laughs> we talk about this with him all the time. Also, he's a great quote. I mean, you ever want anybody unfiltered, Jordan? You know, you got your locker room guys. Oh, yeah. You got your guys. You yep. go to. He is super, super unfiltered. I'll never forget my first game I ever covered in NFL, like ever, was last year, season opener tie at Houston. I'm going around the locker room asking different guys what you like to tie, not, you know, not win, not lose. And he gave me the money quote. He's like, this is BS. But he did not say BS. He gave me the entire word. <laughs> I was like, that was, in, that was in my headline. But he's another guy, um, you know, lives up to the name, speed, makes a lot of big plays, uses his speed to close, you know, close gaps, close distances. He had a crucial sort of pass breakup, sort of blanket coverage um, on Zay Flowers last week that helped the Colts seal the win in overtime. So, again, these are all guys that have kind of masked that issue on the back end, which I'm sure the, the Rams are trying to exploit. Yeah, absolutely. And they, um, where many people did not think the Rams had the receivers minus Cooper Cup coming into the season to do that, they've actually shown um, like some really rising talent with Puka Nakua, um, who is like they're they're 100% their zone beater guy. Like the, I would I want to say like 92% of his snaps have come against zone coverage, where he's racked up most of his yards. Um, significant number of it. He's had at least 100 yards after the catch at this point. Um, significant emergence from the rookie for the Rams, and he's actually in the Robert Woods role. People think oh, what's going to happen? You know, he's in the Cooper Cup role, but actually he's playing the Z. He's the flanker. Cooper Cup's the F. He's the one with all the option routes. So I actually think it'll fit really well when he gets back, but not to get ahead of myself on that one. Tutu, <laughs> Tutu Atwell is playing really well too. Um, he's someone who Sean McVay is getting into space really effectively using a lot of short motion and different types of ways to get Tutu um, uh, sort of a wind up off of the line of scrimmage so he's not facing a ton of press. Um, which is important because of his frame and because of what he can do when he gets into that second gear. Well, if you can get into that second gear before you even hit the line of scrimmage because you're going in motion, um, that's a significant um, mathematical advantage for the Rams. And they've exploited it. Tutu Atwell has, is really playing well, and I expect him to certainly be a threat. Um, he also has the speed to get into those spaces should that pressure start getting there, you just really want to see a little bit more creative types of pressure beaters from the Rams. They they tried. They really were trying to get on their screen game with Kyron Williams, the running back, last uh, on Monday, and they their connection just wasn't there. He missed a couple of like potential would be either big gains, a potential touchdown. Um, and this this um, second year running back, Kyron Williams, he was like one of Matthew Stafford's favorite targets in camp. I don't think they missed a pass in training camp, but wow. you know, for Stafford's first four throws to Kyron on, on Monday were incomplete. And, you know, that's where I think this is, this game is going to be won or lost, not just up front by the Rams or the Colts, because if the Colts can, can dominate them early, it, the way that the Bengals were successful was they got that pressure, but in a variety of different ways, they were bringing all types of different looks and, and um, pre-snap sh uh, post-snap shifts out of pre-snap looks and all types of things. And then, you know, the left tackle goes down and then you ex sort of exploit that side and the Rams didn't adjust. Well, what I need to see from the Rams this week is more adjusting to different types of pressure. And they are going to be seeing, I think, significant more pressure on the interior as well. And Stafford is not a quarterback. He's we we like we call him skinny Stafford this year because like <laughs> he's moving around, he's moving really well, he's running, but the Rams still are not totally moving his pocket a ton the way that they said they were going to moving in uh to the season. Um, you know, he's he's done a couple of bootleg play action and um that those plays have been really effective, but he still want he's that drop back kind of shotgun Stafford, you know, gunslinger guy. And if they can't protect him, I mean, there's going to be pressure coming from the inside, too. And so those types of things just aren't going to be as effective if that pressure can get there. And the Rams gave up 20 pressures to the Bengals and six sacks. And so this is going to be so significant because the route concepts and the passing game, it's there. Um, it's effective. The Rams have shown it can be incredibly explosive and efficient when it's when it's on, when when Matthew's on and when they they are, um, you know, combating the pressure the way that they want to. But they also have lacked dimension in a run game that they've been really, really proud of this <laughs> heading into this season. But they just haven't, you know, one one of six first half red zone plays was a run call and they're at the two. I mean, you know, you're not, this is just some of the things, the logic isn't squaring some, with some of the things with this team. And that's where I think, 
against a team like this in a game where, I mean, the Rams are at, on the verge of a team that believes it has believed it will be competitive. It's on the verge of falling to, you know, one and three that has to me significant implications for how they approach, you know, the rest of their season. It could have implications on what they do with Cooper cup. I mean, you know, not to get too dramatic or anything, but it is, it's significant this going on the road and, and um, making a better showing of offensively from what they did this last weekend. And to your point talking um, so, you know, about this defensive line on the other side, it is going to start up front. I think the Colts know that too. So it'll be really, really interesting to see what happens there. Um, Rams fans listening to Samson, Samson Ebicam talk is I think drawing some eye twitches because he was sort <laughs> of the one that got like, he was, he never, he was always very high potential with the Rams, but they were in their model of um, players walking and signing deals to get comp picks to then fill in complimentary players to their mm-hmm. stars. This is their Super Bowl model. And then he thrived with the 49ers and he's thriving <laughs> with the Colts. And so everyone's like, no, <laughs> you know, there's a one who got away. So, but I'm happy for him. He's a great dude. Um, let's talk. I, I promised you uh, a rundown and then I started rambling, but let's talk about all good. Let's talk about the the big Colts topics. I, I want you to be able to, and, and I know you're gonna kill this. Like, what's going on with the Colts? Tell Rams fans what they need to know about the Colts from Anthony Richardson to the big topics that are sort of facing this team right now. Um, a team that the Rams, Matthew Stafford is very familiar with, um, but the Rams don't see as frequently as some of the opponents that they're super familiar with. Yeah, I think it starts with Anthony Richardson and his health. Mm-hmm. You know, he's we're in week three now. He did not play last week due to a concussion he sustained in week two. And he hasn't finished a game through the, like the first two games he's played. He hasn't finished it on his own terms. The season opener, he showed some things. I think he honestly has been better than I would have expected so far. Looks like his floor is higher than I thought it would be, but he got knocked out of that game. You know, got a, took a blow to the knee, went down, Jordan. I thought, oh my gosh, did my uh, season just change like that? The once entire again, chaos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for like 30 seconds, you know, everyone at Lucas Oil Stadium was like, is this, you know, all right, life without? You know, Anthony Richardson, similar to how the Jets kind of, you know, you get all this hype and it's like one drive and it's over. For Anthony, it was the fourth quarter. He went down, um, you know, got up and he could have went back in from what Shane Steichen told us, but they just decided to get against it. And the following week in Houston, it looked like he was in for a huge day. I mean, he only played 18 offensive snaps, scored two touchdowns in those snaps. um, And both were designed runs. And the first one was, you know, they have the 18-yard line draws back and it's what you see with Lamar Jackson, where you drop back, they're going to pass it. And then everyone just blocks up and he just takes off. And this is a guy who is, you know, he's now up to two fifty. Wow. He's running a four, four, four. And he just puts his foot in the ground and he's gone. And it is amazing to see him just physically do anything because he's not aware of how gifted it is. Like he knows he, and he talks about it candidly. He's like, I know I've been blessed with a lot from God and you know, whatever else gave me this, but he still doesn't really understand that what he's doing is not normal. Um, and so he took off, you know, to the end zone. And we had a stat from um, NFL Next Gen Stats where it was like the average quarterback scores on that play 1.8% of the time. But it's not 1.8% for him because he's an alien in, in some, some regards. <laughs> and so they get a, a fumble or something like that. They force the fumble on CJ Stroud, get the ball right back right after they just scored on this play. And then you see the brilliance of Shane Steichen where he uses a bunch of motion to create another running lane for Anthony Richardson where he has Josh Downs, the rookie um, slot receiver. He comes around the end around, you know, Anthony sells it. He does a Statue of Liberty type of thing or he kind of fakes it and holds it. And then as soon as he turns the corner, you got Michael Pittman Jr., who's their most physical receiver, their best receiver, um, you know, doing a crackback block, a legal one, because he made sure that, you know, he got the guy got his head around before he hit him. But laid him out, gets to the outside. Colin Granson, the tight end, is blocking um, at the end of that run to kind of give him that lane. And Anthony is cruising to the end zone, but he took his foot off the gas, like right at like the five-yard line. And while he still scored, he got crushed, Mm. you know, by uh, one of the Texans safeties. As he cleared the end zone, flips back, hits his head. He gets up and does the celebration. Everyone just thinks, oh, wow, this guy's rolling. You know, the, the story is, okay, maybe I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, Anthony Richardson might score four touchdowns today. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be some unique sight line, right? Where it's going to be two rushing touchdowns, two passing touchdowns, or three rushing touchdowns and, you know, one pass touchdown or something. Even if it's just four, like he was just that locked in, that dialed in, looked that comfortable. And then we look up and he's going, you know, to the tent. 
And we find out that that play that he got hit on was a concussion. It was where he sustained his concussion. So he got knocked out. And that is sort of the talk of the town. They were able to survive last week with Gardner Minshew, who's one of the better backups in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a piece. Jets fans uh, <laughs> certainly probably enjoyed because I was like, would they trade for him? And it was kind of like, a, you know, the Colts would not give him up. I don't think so. But I, I think I saw your message in Slack. You were like, what is the history? Yeah. Let's talk about the history of teams <laughs> trading for backup quarterbacks. Oh, my gosh. And it, I went down this rabbit hole. It was a fun <laughs> rabbit hole. I got a bunch of people yell at me and all that. But mm-hmm. that's the number one priority is and, and we talk about wins. The Colts have kind of overachieved so far. They're two and one. The Jaguars have not been that good. They haven't run away or got out to this great start in the AFC South, the Colts are in first place. So it feels like it's wide open. And it's just as much as you want to see the Colts win, like this franchise wants to see them win with Anthony Richardson and take a step forward. The real win to me is can he finish the game? Because mm. that's that's the biggest thing. And, and it's not because he's reckless. He's not just out here doing crazy things. I think he's learning. And he said it himself candidly, like, all oh, these guys move faster. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I'm still the best athlete. And he is. But... You can't, you know, uh, think that you can just coast in or you can't just think that you're going to like, you know, get to this spot before another guy because they're all, you know, very, you know, great athletes themselves. And there's a target on you because you've been labeled as the new age quarterback, you know, the alien guy, the the guy who can run really fast. He's, he's kind of got the Superman label, but your kryptonite in this league is hits. So mm-hmm. you can't take a ton of those. So that's the biggest thing. And then the second thing I would say, again, is Shane Steichen. He is phenomenal. And, you know, it's 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 almost <laughs> funny because you can't ask him about himself because he won't say anything ever. I mean, even after Matt Gay had like the greatest kicking performance ever in a regular season game, he just goes, oh, he's a great player. You know, that's why we got him. I'm like, oh, wow, I got I to find somebody else to talk to because these quotes are not going to you know help this story at all. But he is proving that, you know, as a play caller in Philly, he can still be a play caller here mm-hmm. in Indianapolis and not have too much on his plate and manage the game. And you see how dialed in he is. I mean, he has this thing where he basically tries to force a coach to use a timeout, you know, whether it's oh, a good. special Ra- team. Rams something. fans are going to really, really love that. Oh, man. Sean he... was too fast to use his timeouts this last week, and it really bit him in the ass later no, on. No, <laughs> he, he likes to do it. I mean, he... uh. Like he went out there this past week in, in, in Baltimore and they were getting ready to kick a field goal. And he decided to like try to, um, you know, this is the Colts deciding to try to mm-hmm. go out there for a field goal. Then he decided to just switch out his entire offensive line and, and like put his offense back in there just to make the Ravens burn a timeout to get their defense out there. And then they did it again. And the Ravens just took it, like made their defensive guys like take forever to get on the field. So they got delay a game. And he's kind of winked at the Ravens. Like I'll take the delay a game, but you use the timeout. And I think, that's one of those things where he's always thinking sort of, you know, just that little bit of an edge. Where can I find, where can I gain ground on my opponent? And he's someone that everyone's really high on. I think he also brings a different feel to that locker room that, that Frank Reich just didn't have. Now that he's in Carolina, I've said this before, but I think a lot of these coaches and players, they show their fire in different ways. Mm-hmm. I don't think you get to this level in athletics if you're not competitive, but he definitely has a little more bite, a little more bark to him. Then Frank Reich and the guy seemed to kind of be buying into like that new flavor. And I'm saying that Frank was wrong. It's just that you know how it is. Like sometimes it gets it gets it gets stale, and you have to yeah. change it up. And he brings a lot of that edge. And I think the last thing that I'll hit on, we talk about our three points about the Colts. Mm-hmm. It's the running back situation because Zach Moss, the Utah Ute, along with Matt Gay and Julian Blackman, they have three Utah Utes on this team who all played at the same time together <laughs> in Utah. I was like, how? I don't know the odds on that, but it's so crazy because you don't usually get that many players from like a school like that on the same team who played like at the same time. So it's been cool to ask Zach and Julian and Matt and vice versa, all these guys. Okay, what was he like back then and and seeing him now (laughs) and sharing the locker room and all of them have kids now and things like that. And so it's really cool. But Zach, he's been a very good replacement. He cannot replace JT, but he's been a serviceable, above average guy. I mean, over the last two games, um, the two games he's played because he missed the first game due to a broken arm he had in training camp, he came back and he's had he's averaging 24 carries and 105 yards over the last two games. Um, really bruising type of style. Not going to beat you with some home run run, but he's going to beat you with the six, seven, eight, occasional 12-yard run where he just keeps his legs turning and it seems like he gets stronger throughout the game. The caveat with that, though, is, you know, in the Houston win in week two, he played 56 of 57 offensive snaps. 
That's unheard of in today's modern NFL. Mm -hmm. Last week, he logged 30 carries in an overtime win. It's the first time he had 30 carries in his career and the first time I believe he's hit it since college. And again, that's not sustainable for an NFL team. And so they don't really have anybody else behind him. You know, so with JT, Colts fans want to believe that just because he can come off the pup list, like we talked about, you know, there's the 21-day window, you can't practice and all those things. There is this hope that he'll come back and sort of alleviate the pressure and immediately plan week five and everything's going to be fine. Everything's not fine. JT has given no public indication that he still wants to play for the Colts. And to my knowledge, he still is very mad at them because he hasn't had, you know, a contract extension offer. And that's another thing that we've gone back and forth, you know, me and the fan base and other reporters. It's not that like they lowballed him. They no-balled him. They yeah. didn't even offer him. And so that's the thing that frustrates him. And so, yes, ideally in a vacuum, Jonathan Taylor returning, whether in week five or week six, would be great for this team, right? But we don't know exactly when that's going to happen. And things are going to heat up because to this point, Shane Steichen has turned down every single question about Jonathan Taylor. And, you know, obviously, again, Zach Moss has done well. But the elephant in the room is what's going to happen when you're all pro, former all pro, is activated or or, mm-hmm. or becomes available for you to, you know, play or, or something like that. And is he going to play? Is he going to try to pout his way out? And I, you talked about what I've done with my explainers. I've read through the CBA. Jonathan Taylor doesn't have many good options. And I mean, to be honest, his stock hasn't. After the first game when Zach Moss didn't play because he was out, the Colts running backs, I believe, had like 16 carries, 25 yards. It was awful. And you're like, wow, you really need JT. Then Zach Moss comes back and it's like, okay, you would you, you need JT, but you don't need him as much as you thought. Like you, you, he would be great to have. His stock has dropped since then. I mean, Zach Moss has stepped up. Miami, who was interested, um, you know, uh, the Green Bay Packers, who were reportedly interested in him. These teams, Green Bay is overachieved. Miami scored 70 points. Like they're yeah, not going to. I don't think they're, they're not, in the marketing. Yeah, I'm like, they're not going <laughs> to trade for JT. So that's the elephant in the room. So as much as everyone is like high on Anthony Richardson, high on Shane Steichen, there's this one sort of like, dark cloud where we're all like what does this mean and this is the last game we'll see without JT at least being addressed because mm-hmm. again they've just they've just shut down everything I've asked every single week has he traveled has he been around and he hasn't been around you know you talked about Cooper Cup being around the team he hasn't been around Jelani mm-hmm. Woods for example the Colts tight end second year tight end he started the year um on the injured reserve list well right after because you know they did the 53 man roster Danny went on the injured reserve so he missed the first four games he could come back in week five as well. He's been around. JT is like a ghost. And so that's that's the biggest thing here going on in Coastlands. Like, yes, we love AR. We love Shane Steichen. JT, where are you? Like, get on board. And it feels like, you know how it is in the locker room. The guys are rallying together now. And yeah. they're bought into whoever's in there. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think it to myself, like, if he's not bought in, what do you do? Because at this point, you got to roll with who you got. Yeah. And it's so hard to, I I really empathize for him in this situation too. I mean, obviously not knowing the daily interactions, things like that, because players have so little leverage. Sometimes it feels like in terms of obviously the running backs and, and the value and the financial value question is, has been so prevalent this off season, but also when situations like this come up and then the owners in public on Twitter and like, or whatever it's called now. And then like, things are just seem so messy. And it always seems to me like the player just so often the player just gets steamrolled. Right. And in this case, it's interesting. This is going to be something to really watch. And the Colts obviously have to make a decision on how much I think pride they want to swallow here um, over the next couple of weeks, because they're going to have to make a decision before the trade deadline. That's four, about four weeks away, if not a little bit longer. And they have to figure out how this is going to happen moving forward. Now, this is also a case where if, if they reset their ask for what they want, if they decide, okay, now we understand the situation is becoming untenable. I do think you'll get a lot more teams that are interested. I actually, you know, when, when all of the noise, the initial noise was kind of coming out, people were hitting me up. Are the Rams in it? Are the Rams in it? And the answer at that time was no, because the ask was so high, first of all. And Mm -hmm. then second of all, they're not going to do an extension. That's the thing that's really hard here, especially if you're looking at it from the player's perspective and you know, from the market perspective, 
It's how things are right now in terms of contracts and durability and all of these things that people throw out in these negotiations to basically say. And the Rams also have the scenario where they were once a team that would pay a running back, as we know, in the Todd Gurley situation. (laughs) But then they really it, it went as bad as it possibly could have for them after they did. So this is a team that's not going to pay a running back. We're not going to send a running back. They draft them in the third or later rounds every single year. And that's how they roll. And it's interesting because, you know, I think Jonathan Taylor could help a lot of different teams in this league, but the main flag that what I keep hearing, and especially what I think is, is um, probably logical is Teams don't want to also promise an extension and the asking price of what the Colts were saying and putting out there or whoever in there was putting this out there. (laughs) uh, We know probably who it was. Um, The Colts Colts were saying that like the that particular bar, the McCaffrey, you know, thing, the the Rams were willing to bid for that when they were in contention. Um, and they're not anymore. I mean, they're going right. to be better and they are better than people thought they would. But this is not a team that's one guy away from contention. This is a team that is not going to, you know, kind of meet those that type of pick ask. And so if unless the thing, the terms dramatically and I said this at the time, too, so this is not new reporting um, aggregators. But um, <laughs> this this that, you know, this is not the way that the the terms were initially outlined or the ask was initially outlined, not just from the team, but from the player and and what the circumstances would be, you know, the Rams would not be in it in that case. Now, if, as I said before, if the, if everything dramatically changed, um, then this is a Rams team that kind of like what you were mentioning with the running back situation currently in Indianapolis, Kyron Williams, I mean, it is not sustainable for Kyron Williams to take the amount of snaps that he has been taking over the last three, uh, three weeks. And he is a very good player. He had a bad game on Monday, but he's a very good player who will continue to be a very good player for the Rams. But Sean McVay came out and said, yeah, we're watching his snap count because that's not something that, you know, 40 carries in a game and then turn around, you're playing like almost hundred percent of the snaps the next weeks. It's like, that's not something that you can do in a modern league, especially with the running backs, you know, structured in this and the schemes the way that they are. It's usually mm-hmm. usually about on average, uh, it's usually about a 40, 40, uh, 20 or like a 50, 40, um, 10 split and um, any variety of those types of things. And so I think that that's these this is something to consider. But I'm fascinated by this Jonathan Taylor situation. I feel for him, obviously. Um, yeah. And it must be like. I can't imagine how isolating it must be too. to like, you're away from your team, but you also have this, these principles. And you've also been in this situation that, you know, it it was, it was messy in public and like with the owner and I just, it must be really isolating. Yeah. I think that changed a lot of it. I mean, when you're sitting up, I mean, I was watching game of Thrones one night and first time ever watching it. And then you get a, you got, I got Jim Irsay's Twitter notifications on and he tweets out this shot at the running back market. And, you know, he doubled back and afterward and said, oh, it wasn't about Jonathan Taylor. And I'm like, read the room. You have, yeah, you're, yeah, you're running back. And then you have, you know, he, he says the agent part where all their agents are operating in bad faith. They're trying to like, you know, redo the CBA, all these things. And then you have JT's agent, um, Alkikawa, go right back at the owner and say, oh, you're not, not paying your best players in bad faith. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is mm-hmm. not how this is supposed to be going. And so I asked, you know, GM Chris Ballard, you know, if that helped. And he kind of snickered and was like, obviously not. You know, people are <laughs> emotional. And I think for JT, he's in a situation where you might think that you're morally right. But, I mean, the, the CBA is ironclad. And, and the reason why week six probably is the, is the bigger deadline is like for him to basically honor the last year of his contract, mm-hmm. he has to be physically able to perform by week six. Now there's loopholes in there. Like you can practice and be physically able to perform without playing and all that. But basically to keep it in like the most simple terms for the listeners, he it has to be available to play for at least six games this year. Yeah. And that will probably be the safest way for him to try to get that last accrued season to honor his rookie contract and become a free agent next year. And if he doesn't, do that or if there's any questions about that you know basically the Colts could take it to an arbitrator and and let a third party arbitrator decide 
basically his future. And if they rule against him and say, hey, you didn't honor your contract and you're finding your rookie deal, then he owes them another year yeah. next year. And he's not mm-hmm. a free agent. So that's what makes all this a little bit more different than, you know, let's say Josh Jacobs or Saquon Barkley. Those guys had already honored their contracts and were technically free agents. They just didn't want to sign the franchise tag. For JT, I think that he sees the franchise tag in the distance. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't want that. I'm trying to like dig in my heels now. But again, the Colts basically own his rights for the foreseeable future and they don't have to pay him. Chris Ballard said, you know, he wants to talk to him. And we asked point blank, you know, hey, did you tell him the franchise tag is off the table? Was that something you discussed? And he was like, oh, we're, we didn't take anything off the table. It's a tool that was and he said it himself. That was collectively bargained for. So. I mean, in other words, he also said that they haven't used it since like Pat McAfee in 2013. Wow, whoopty do use the you know use the franchise tag on a punter? You know, <laughs> cost you a ton. But the thing is, he did not say I won't use it. And so I think that for all the Colts fans who are out there, like, oh, you know, they haven't said they're not going to pay him. They just want to see him play and get healthy. Not really. I mean, you could be Saquon Barkley like last year. You could be Josh Jacobs last year, and they're going to come back and tell you, ah, oh, well, we don't have to pay you anymore really so we'll just give you the minimum that we can and so i think that's that's what he's kind of up against right now but at some point i think there has to be some of that come to jesus moment where you look in the mirror and you realize you're fighting a battle that you may not win mm-hmm. and you're dealing with you know uh an, an owner and in, in, in a team that maybe doesn't operate like everyone else does i don't know how many owners are tweeting out the practice squad schedule and things like that or their practice squad injury report and so those types of things um i think factor into it but it definitely got way more personal after the tweets Mm -hmm. and i'm at the point now where jt hasn't talked to the local media since june 14th it's been you know basically three months and so uh or two or three months whatever it is but he hasn't talked in months to us and so he's the only one in this entire equation who hasn't really stated where he is, what his side is. Last time he talked, he said he wanted to get, you know, basically wanted to get paid and it's in the, it's in their court. And uh, that's where we are right now. So we'll see how it goes, but I'm just enjoying, I guess my last weekend of that before I dive back into, you know, uh, okay, what's the rule for this and what's the loophole for this. Yeah. And, you know, can I get in contact with this person or that person? So, you know, be on lookout, Jordan, the Slack channels when I ask more questions. I know. I got you. And you know what? It's interesting. <laughs> we can even talk through a little bit of this right now because I know Rams fans are super interested in this topic specifically because they kind of dealt with something like this, but not in as um, messy a way um, with there, there is a loophole. I would actually be concerned not so much about the franchise tag, but a tender. Um, which is even yeah. less money because if you don't accrue a certain amount in earn and in order to um, establish that year on your contract, there are loopholes and the Rams have used them on Cam Akers um, in the past to um, establish you now as a restricted free agent. So they could assign a tender. And at that point, I could definitely see other teams coming in and matching because it would be way cheaper than any sort of... Um, you know, it, it might be cheaper than any sort of like actual value ask that the Colts are, would cur- were cur- previously asking for, mm-hmm. especially if it's like a first round tender or something like that. It's like, oh, you wanted two first round picks. Well, here's one because you have the tender. <laughs> and then the Colts would have to then match the the offer sheet, all of, all of that stuff. And I know you'll go down that rabbit hole as well. But like, that's where things get really dicey is there are loopholes, especially when a player does not accrue enough time on that last year of his contract and is expecting to enter free agency, but does not accrue the time in order to um, uh, do so. There are teams have, there is precedent before of teams using those loopholes to um, contain or uh, mathematically sort of leverage um, how much, you know, they, they would pay or even, um, you know, kind of place, on the player in terms of value, because whether it's via a tender or whether, you know, at that that point, I don't even know if you're talking about a franchise tag, um, you might be talking about something even less. And so it's it's really hard because you, you see that the longer this goes on, the worse it seems like it will be in terms of for the outcome for the yeah. pl- for the player. And then obviously the Colts don't have um, their, their top running back, but I, I find it harder to pity the organization. I, (laughs) you know, the billionaire will be okay. (laughs) I mean, they will be, but the last thing I'll say on this topic is that, you know, when we, when they allowed him to seek a trade, I remember asking Chris Ballard who credit to him for even coming out and and addressing this because most GMs would probably say, I'm not talking about this publicly or whatever. 
he made it clear, hey, we allowed him to seek a trade. And I was like, well, if you value him so much, why did you allow him to seek a trade? Well, sometimes you got to see what's out there. They never wanted to trade him. Mm-hmm. They still don't. They still want to get rid of him. The idea is we're going to pair this dynamic player with our, you know, hopefully franchise quarterback for as cheap as possible. Mm-hmm. Because if they, I mean, if, I, I truly believe had they come in and said, hey, we'll give you three years, 30 million with 15 million guaranteed. He, he, he might take that. It, we just don't know because Jim Irsay has said flat out, extension talks are off the table. We're not doing that right now. Now, it, technically, he could do it down the line, but I would not be holding my breath for that. But again, the reason why the ax price was so high and we hear the jokes about Jalen Waddle, like that's what they wanted in, in return for JT. And all the Miami fans were like, what the hell are you talking about? It's because they never wanted to get rid of him in the first place. They want JT. It's just that he doesn't want to be here. And my whole thing is, at what point does your return on investment, um, you know, come into come into play? Because mm-hmm. you're keeping him with the idea of him being this all pro player. But if he isn't that, whether it's because of the nagging injury, which he had ankle surgery in January, it was at the time a routine thing. He said it was a perfect success in April, and here we are in September. And he still hasn't played. He hasn't done anything on the field with the team since last December when they lost uh, at Minnesota with the biggest blown lead in NFL history. That's the last time we saw him on a field for the Colts. And so with that in mind, you have to factor in, okay, okay, injury stuff aside, the morale part of it, like the mm-hmm. human part of it. If he's that mad, he's, I don't care what anybody says, you're never going to give your full effort for anybody you don't like to work for. That's any job anywhere in America. So I, I just don't know how you do it. And Here's my here's my hot, my last hot hot take about this. Oh, good! This I'm lot. ready. I'm bracing myself. I'm ready. Jordan, I truly believe if he wanted to, I'm not saying he should do this. Like aggregators, please don't do, don't say. I, I think this. <laughs> but if he wanted to, he could truly go like full James Harden and just not the whole like you know Daryl Moore is a liar thing. But he could walk into the locker room and say, "I'm only here because I, I have to do this. I have to honor my contract. I'll play, but I don't want to play for these people." I don't want to play for Jim Mercy. I don't want to play for Chris. I don't want to play for anybody here. I don't like this team, but I'll play if they have me. And then at that point, the public will be like, well, get this guy out of here. He's locker room cancer. Get rid of him. And that'll force their hand to trade him. Now, would he do that? I don't know. You know, I I truly don't know. But there is like he could definitely like shake the table more and make it more of an eyesore than it is. Because right now he's kind of like this backdrop, you know, back burner kind of ghost but if he just brings it to the forefront and just goes full scorched earth, one, I'll be there to obviously record it all and, and get it all on camera. But number two, I think they would get out, get him out of here pretty quickly. But I mean, we'll see. Like I said, I'm enjoying my last weekend of, of freedom with this Rams game because as soon as Monday morning comes, JT becomes eligible to rejoin the team. And at that point, we'll figure out, OK, what's the next steps in this whole saga? But yeah, until then, my, my year and a half boy here Ooh, at Coast man. Game, I am. Oh Lord, I have become a, a seasoned veteran. <laughs> I know you've lived, you've lived like uh what do they say? Like uh seven years to every one year. Like there that's you, you you've lived like a, a huge amount of time in a very short amount of, of actual calendar year. So that's so funny. Um, okay, before I let you get out of here, I cannot let you go without asking you your impressions of Matt Gay. We loved him, we loved covering him in Los Angeles. The Rams obviously are operating right now other than three core contracts on their roster. They're operating in like dollars and cents, not millions and dollars <laughs> anymore. <laughs> They're very tight against their little spreadsheet here. Wow. In terms the, of the billionaires really? Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. We feel so bad for them. Um, and so they, um, so they, they were not going to pay a kicker. Uh, they avoided potential disaster. They had two rookie kickers on their roster, uh, for the entirety uh, well, for the entirety of OTAs and then one rookie kicker on their roster for the entirety of training camp. Then they cut that kicker. Then they signed Brett Maher, who's been really good, pretty solid so far for the Rams. So no, uh, no problem there so far. Um, he's a veteran. This probably is should have how they should have done it, you know, earlier on, but they wanted to try and see if they could find that longer term answer. Uh, yeah, they four year, a guy under contract for four years, very cheap. Um, but they loved Matt Gay. They loved having him here. Matt Gay brought this like stability, and like a little bit of that, like juice to their, to their kicking unit and their special teams that they really had struggled to, to find. And one thing I loved about his story was his first game for the Rams. Uh, when Sean McVay didn't even really know his name, he was calling him jacked kicker. 
Um, and so and he's like, <laughs> jacked, man. Like that's like the most memorable Sean McVay <laughs> quote of the last few years. But um, the his first game was against his former team. Um, and I don't think there's animosity this time around, but there definitely was that time. And Matt kicked a game winner against them. And so I'm like, Matt Gay can bring it when he wants to. And obviously he had a huge week last week. And so that that changes the terms of what you're working with on the field, what your defensive plan is. If your kicker has a leg like that, a big leg, um, then you're you're changing the the types of um situational game planning that you're working with for your defense. So First and foremost, real quick, what's your impression of Matt? Hope he's been great to you guys because he was with us. Second, um, you know, what was it like covering? I mean, obviously there's fun stuff every week, but I, I, I especially love covering a great kicking game. You know, like my podcast listeners, they know this. We've got a long running <laughs> inside joke about my immersion into the land of kickers. And so what, what, what is that? What was that like last week? And then how's Matt been for you guys? Well, I will take credit for talking to Matt Gay before he had this great performance. So we already had sort of a rapport. Um, I had talked to him because of Zach Moss and him being a Utah Ute and um, even talking to Luke Rhodes, a long snapper. But for Matt, I mean, that performance was unbelievable. And I don't think we really realized it until that final kick. And, and you know, you knew something special was probably happening when he kicked a 53 yarder to send it to overtime, but then the one to win it, you have all of these, um, you know, uh, people coming over the intercom saying, Hey, this is the first guy in NFL history. And I was sitting actually right behind or right in front of our Colts statistician guy. Mm -hmm. He's just throwing out all these numbers every time Matt Gay kind of, after he got to like that third, um, I believe it got to that third one. He was like, Hey, he, he might be entering some, some rarefied air here. And I mean, First of all, my my ch story changed. That sent in like the quick thoughts and that changed like five times because it was a crazy <laughs> game. And I think that he obviously stands alone now in history and he respectfully sort of established himself as arguably in, like, making that argument like, oh, no, I'm the best. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really cool to kind of see. He was in Justin Tucker's house. Justin Tucker misses a 61-yarder. Everyone freaks out. Why didn't he make it? I'm like, that's how you know he's great. He missed a 61-yarder, and everyone's wondering why he missed it. And, and then Matt Gay <laughs> sort of responds, and it's kind of like, you know, I'm not saying they, he's taking a throne from or anything like that, but it's like you see, like, greatness personified is kind of how Well, they were kind of competing. I love it. It's like when exactly. two great quarterbacks are on the field at the same mm -hmm. time. And they're not really paying attention to each other, but they kind of are because they each one wants to like out throw or up out sling yeah. the other. Like it, I feel like it's the same with kickers. They're very high strung people also. Like you have to be if you're in that job. So like you, of course, want to be competitive with like also greatness on the field with you. It's just, man, what a plot line. I oh love my it. goodness. It was it was <laughs> phenomenal. And then it kind of forced me for my real, like my my bigger breakout story to kind of take a different approach because normally you just keep it so focused in on like the game, but then, you know, knowing Matt's background, which I hadn't really had a chance to write about, didn't really have a reason to, but the whole, he played soccer at Utah Valley and, you know, uh, that was his thing. He was really good too. It wasn't just like, you know, most athletes, Oh, I played this in high school. No, he was really good. Like he was, mm -hmm. I could be a future pro in this if I wanted to. And seeing him kind of pivot from that. So like going back through his background, using quotes that we have when we initially, initially signed. He talked about how hard it was to leave, you know, LA and mm -hmm. how much he like, how much confidence he gained from that experience. And even coming back here to Indianapolis, it was like a full circle moment because he was here on the practice squad um, after things didn't work out as a rookie in Tampa Bay. And he said, you know, those few months here before he went off to LA and obviously kind of became who he is, the Matt Gay he is now, he said those months here really helped him just kind of find that confidence again. And then you fast forward a few years and you see this guy who is supremely confident, have the game of his life, who put the team on his back. I mean, uh, he was phenomenal and it was a lot of fun afterward. He had these really cool Nike dunks on that were like really expensive. I forget the name of them, but like they were. I, I, I looked can at totally him like, see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a shoe guy. So he walks into like and then, you know, just to give you a glimpse of how you know, big of a day he had. They get the kicker a podium, you know, uh, uh you know, that never happens by the which, way, for people listening, yeah, that never, never happens. happens. Yeah. So I'm in the locker room and I'm talking to all the guys, getting all their reactions. And then you hear, uh, you know, Matt Gates to the podium and all the guys are repeating and banging on lockers. Matt Gates to the podium. Yeah, Matt, you the goat, Matt. Yeah. And so 
Um, and he's just so humble. And, and then also diving into his mind and, and what it really was like to be in sort of that zone. He called it blackout mode. And he was like, I couldn't tell you the snap or the hold. It's just muscle memory. It's what I've done my entire life. And I, I, I just did what I, what I thought I could do, what I've envisioned myself doing. And you know, not to mention, it was also a little wet out there because they had a tropical storm come through earlier. So he had all these things kind of working to create like this movie moment. And that's basically what it was. And, and I, mean, how, I mean, how many times is it perfectly written like that, right? I mean, if someone showed me that script, I'd be like, get this out of my sight. Look at this busy movie garbage. But he actually did it. And so I wrote it. It was phenomenal. I enjoyed talking to him, getting everyone's reaction to it. You had, you know, Gardner Minshew who's on his knees praying. You had Julius Brents, the rookie. Um, you know, cornerback who was, he was like, I no, no, don't watch it. Don't watch it. I just buried my head in the grass. <laughs> you got other, you know, you got EJ speed, the linebacker saying, Oh no, we knew it was good. Cause he the goat, blah, blah, blah. He's the best ever ball. And, and like, you just have all these different reactions, all these different emotions. Then you have him who's stone cold gets up there and does what he does. And it was a lot of fun to talk to him and give him some shine. So, um, I enjoyed it. I think that he, that win really brought this group together. And I think it changed maybe not the trajectory of their season, but how they feel about the trajectory of their season. Mm-hmm. Like it could be, you know, you know, NFL's weird. They, they could come out here this week and, and lose by 30 because you just never know how it goes sometimes. But I think this really has them believing, okay, if Anthony Richardson is legit, if we have this kind of kicker, if we have this defense with this great off- defensive line, maybe we can, you know, contend in a wide open AFC South. So we'll see. But it's been a lot of fun on the beat. I mean, between Matt Gay and like I said, and his, his awesome sneakers. And then uh, I didn't even tell you this. I played basketball with Anthony Richardson. I saw our, that, yeah. Our, our training I saw camp. That, yeah. So like that I was awesome. Like <laughs> just random, like so it's been like a random, weird, fun year so far, but definitely it, it feels like, you know, that they they think that they can win every game. And that was I don't think that was the case towards the back half of last year when, when the when the wheels fell off in Minnesota with the biggest blown lead ever. I think after that, that kind of took something out of these guys. But now they're like, you know, reinvigorated and, and obviously very happy to get the win. But Matt Gay, man, oh, my, my gosh, I could not believe what I was witnessing. And I also want to, like, punch him because he messed up my story so many times. Yeah, like, that's one of those, could... like, command, alt, delete situations, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, many, exactly. many times. Yeah. But I will say this. You know this. Going into a locker room after a huge win, I mean, it doesn't change what you have to do, like, as a reporter. But it definitely is easier when all the guys are happy and they're screaming and jumping oh, yeah. around and you know oh, they're, yeah. they're in a great mood. And so, um, yeah, that was, I mean, he he single-handedly brought a lot of joy to that room and just seeing the reactions to it was awesome. And I mean, again, I, I don't know if we how many kicker podium uh, looks we'll get this year, but that was definitely one to remember. <laughs> That's awesome. And you guys go check out James's dispatch from that just wild, wild time um, over at theathletic.com. And this is, it, it feels like a pretty significant, this, these teams are not obviously division rivals, anything like that, but um, the stakes for each team feels particularly high. The Rams have to prove who they thought and who they have been saying that they think they are and who they showed in that week one win against Seattle. They have to prove that they're those guys and with the stakes again, coming into the month of October ahead of the trade deadline, those stakes get higher and higher. The ramifications get higher and higher. And they also, I think there's some pride there. I mean, they, they think they should have won the last two losses, 49ers that they were in the entire time, but for a couple of self-inflicted mistakes and then a lot of self-inflicted mistakes against the Bengals, against a great Bengals defense um, as well. And for the Colts, it feels like the start of something, right? Especially getting Mm -hmm. um, Anthony Richardson back. And so the stakes, this is going to be a really fun game, even if it's just like a total like trench war, like (laughs) it will still be really fun and super significant for both teams either way. And James, I'm so glad that we have you at The Athletic covering every step of the chaotic Colts, the cardiac Colts, (laughs) Uh, except it's like an extended cardiac episode. Like, (laughs) let's say you're in a cardiac episode for a year and a half. Like, that's what you're sort of experiencing right now. And then on the other side, obviously, you've got me on Rams. I'm so excited to see you on Sunday. Thank you so much for joining me today on 11 Personnel. Tell everyone where they can find you on all of the platforms, especially over at theathletic.com, where anytime you subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel podcast, you get my favorite thing in the world, which is a great discount. Where can people find you? Check me out at Romeoville Kid on all the social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok. There is, there may or may not be a video of me dancing from last season in a hotel room, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun and I have some things coming. I will say stay tuned on 
a lot of the fronts, and, and I'll just give uh, one name, Zach Moss, been uh, digging into his past, into his life. So just stay tuned for that. Excited for that to come out here soon in the next week or so. Been, you know, basically this guy's, uh, you know, shadow the last <laughs> the last few days, the last week and a week or so, just digging into him and trying to do what you've done so well, you know, throughout your career. It's it's tell the story through the lens of, okay, he's capitalizing on his opportunity, but it's more than just the stats. It's more than just what we see mm-hmm. on the field. Like, how did you get here? Who are you? That sort of thing. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, I'm excited for what's to come. And like I said, uh, definitely uh, learning a lot for sure. For sure. Well, you can't possibly do anything, but, and you guys, James is a rising star, not just at our company, but in the sports media landscape in general. So make sure you're giving him a follow, make sure you're going and reading everything he writes. I certainly do. I love your work, James. I'm so happy to have you on today and you guys um, make sure you're taking care of each other. Make sure you're taking care of yourselves. Make sure you're staying hydrated and caffeinated and I'll catch you next time.